Hi, I'm Gabriel Stelian Shanks, the Artistic Director of the Drama League in New York City. Welcome to Talking Direction, the behind-the-scenes podcast going deep into the worlds of theater, film, television, and online content to celebrate directors, those visionary artists at the center of the plays, musicals, movie, and television shows enjoyed around the world. Each week, we welcome acclaimed guests to explore imagination, risk-taking, and craft, as well as looking at the past, present, and future of the creative industries. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. We're available on all platforms or by visiting dramaleague.org. Thanks for listening and for Talking Direction. Welcome to Talking Direction. I'm Nicole A. Watson, Associate Artistic Director of the McCarter Theater Center, Directing Fellow alum, and Board Member of the Drama League. The Drama League is dedicated to supporting new generations of directors in theater, film, and television, but we all know they don't work alone. Collaboration is the building block to a smarter idea, a healthier workspace, and a human connection. One of the finest collaborators on any project from theater, film, TV, music, advocacy, or celebrating the magnificence of puppyhood is the incredible Wayne Brady. Born in Columbus, Georgia, and raised in Orlando, Florida, Wayne found out early in life that theater has the power to transform the soul. Community theater served as the catalyst to push Wayne to continue developing his skills as an entertainer that would usher him to new heights. You may know him from his Broadway debut as Billy Flynn in Chicago, as well as Simon slash Lola in Kinky Boots. Wayne has also starred as Tom Collins in Rent, directed by Neil Patrick Harris, Aaron Burr in Hamilton, Freestyle Love Supreme, directed by Thomas Kale and co-produced by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Django from the viral sensation Ratatouille, the TikTok musical. We know and love his work in TV on Whose Line Is It Anyway, The Wayne Brady Show, Let's Make a Deal, How I Met Your Mother, The Masked Singer, which he won season two of, and so much more. He is a daytime and primetime Emmy Award winner and a Grammy-nominated artist. He is an outspoken advocate for mental health awareness and the importance of theater education in our schools. You can see him in the upcoming Showtime drama, American Gigolo. Please welcome Wayne Brady to Talking Direction. Hi, Wayne. Welcome. Hey there. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, you for, for the kind intro. Thank you. It's so, it comes so easy. You're such an incredible theater artist and advocate, and we're just thrilled to have you here today. Um, I want to start out. I learned that you are a fellow Islander. Uh, my family's from Jamaica, and um, I would love uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about is how did you turn your West Indian work ethic towards a life in the theater? Well, I think it's 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 rather easy in the yeah. sense of when when you're raised, raised with a certain mindset. And, and you and I have talk, uh, talked and talking about how an island family, or, or I think a lot of immigrant families come, come built in with a drive mm -hmm. that you must succeed, you must go forward, you have to uh, use everything at your advantage to be the absolute best that you can be. And my grandmother and my father and my grandparents and everyone on that side, they're from St. Thomas and St. Croix. Mm -hmm. So when I was coming up, the one thing that was constantly drilled in me is to be a good student, to get ahead. Be a good student, get ahead, don't talk back, be, be a good person, but above all, kill it. Just kick as much ass as you can, you know, to quote, to, to paraphrase my mom. So of course, when I made the decision to become an actor, it wasn't met with open arms. Um, I think uh, we've seen plenty of examples of that on TV and, and where, where the kid goes, no, mom, I'm going to follow my dream, but I thought, I thought you're going to be a doctor. No, mom. <laughs> and then you get into a whole fight that, that really did happen uh, to a degree in my household. My, um, my grandmother and my aunt who helped raise me, they completely uh, thought that I was going crazy. And my father, who was in the military, actually flew in from Germany um, to talk to me about that decision. And when I say talk, I mean talk the way that a, a black household in the uh, early 80s would talk. Um, 
he he just wasn't happy. But the good news is, and I told them this, I said, look, I'm not going to maybe pursue the route that you want me to, but please know that whatever I do, I'm going to put 110% in it and I'm going to succeed. Uh, and on top of that, because I didn't go to any of the colleges that I was accepted to, that I think was the biggest piece, that to not, that to turn down a college education, which so many people in my family fought for, that was the thing that drove everybody nuts. And luckily, there was a happy ending. A couple years after I started acting, before my father, father passed, he, he was able to see me start working on TV and eventually my my family knew that it just wasn't a fluke it wasn't a fad that this was going to be the real thing and i was going to continue to take their lessons on yeah i i completely relate to that story especially having the talk um and all the different ways in which my parents you know sort of said we're, we we have questions about this so thank you for sharing that um, I want to talk, uh, talking about success, I want to talk about TikTok Ratatouille. Um, so many people got to see you in that. And I would love to hear um, how it was working on a crowdsourced musical and why you felt it was important to do that in the middle of um, COVID. Well, the Ratatouille thing, it's its its a really cool, cool um, uh project just from the viewpoint of to be a crowdsourced musical to see how people truly get behind something especially on a platform like TikTok I think whether you like it or not and this is what I've come to to recognize as a as a self self-avowed social media hater and and uh, you know the the old man on his lawn that shakes his fist at uh, the kids saying, well, that's not talent and you didn't come up the right way and you didn't do this. It, it's, it's here to stay. Mm -hmm. And not only is it here to stay, it's here to stay because the people want it to. It's, it's become a place of creativity. It's become a place where people can reach out to one another. So when, so when one little, little spark of Ratatouille the musical then caught fire and and all these creators are getting behind it and people are singing the Ratatouille song and then all of a sudden Broadway producers are behind it. It, it was shocking to me, but then again, it wasn't unexpected. Mm -hmm. I figured that a, that a forum like TikTok would eventually get the clout to make something happen because of the numbers mm -hmm. and because of the, of the democratic nature of people sharing the things that they have there aren't any gatekeepers mm -hmm. people can just people want what they want and they wanted that particular story they loved the idea of it maybe it appealed to some people's childhood a a, a sense of uh of nostalgia for for that uh generation that ratatouille um, first first aired when they were kids but they wanted it done and it was really impressive and that's what sparked my interest when I got the offer. But what really made me want to do it, of course, is because it was benefiting the Actors Fund. I thought, wow, how amazing that we can do this virtual thing and dress up and sing a song in your living room. But yet still, you can help thousands of your your uh, your theater and and um, an entertainment family. And that, that's what pushed me to it. I thought, okay, there's no way that I'm not doing this thing. That This is amazing. Right, right. I, I you know, I want to talk a bit more about that. You know, we are in this uh, COVID moment where so many theaters are closed. And as you said, like our theater families, right? So many of our theater family members are out of work at this time. And um, the way in which TikTok and those other platforms that are here to stay, um, do you find that it's um, encouraged us as theater people to see how many people love theater and for theater people to engage with audience members in a different way? Have you found anything sort of surprising about the way in which um, we've navigated this moment? No, it doesn't surprise me because the theater people are 
innately creative. Mm-hmm. And I, I dare say that when I think of myself, but I think pretty much every performer I know, you know, we, there was a time when you would have done it for free. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a time when you did it in your living room. And there was a time that you did it with your friends in the, in, in your bedroom or for your, your uh, uncles and grandparents as they came over. And it's something that you love and, and you would, and you, and you've done it since you were young. So you would create sometimes in a vacuum because not creating is so uh, antithetical to who you are. So the fact that we are in a pandemic, stages are shut down, Mm -hmm. how else are these beautifully creative people, and I'm talking theater people on stage and behind the scenes, how else would they get that creativity out? So they turn to social media. You have so many amazing social media accounts now of these broad Broadway stars and some people that you've never heard of, people in ensembles, um, scenic scenic designers, you know, uh, the the musicians, people getting their art out that way. So that never surprised me that that there wouldn't be an influx of art coming out. But what I think is amazing is how then the theater community was able to pivot and go, well, if we can't do it on stage, let's do it with with 24-hour monologues mm-hmm. let's do it with with the 24-hour musicals let's do it with these these cool zoom productions hell let's start doing it on clubhouse now there, there was just the dream girls on on clubhouse right. that's that's the amazing spirit of of show people yeah yeah, agreed. And uh, I mean, I think of the way in which so many costume designers went straight to mask making um, at the beginning of this. As you mentioned, it's both people who are on stage and behind the scenes who are pivoting um, and, and being extremely creative and resourceful in this moment. Um, you mentioned a, a wide variety of, of, I would say, virtual theater programs, right? The 24-hour musicals. You mentioned uh, Clubhouse. Um, can you tell me a bit about what your... Uh, you've already expressed what is the creativity and resilience of theater people. And we know that one day our stages will be open. Um, can you talk to me about what some of your hopes are for when that moment comes and why it is so important for our stages to reopen? Well, I mean, just the being, being real, yeah. the stages to open, that's, that's giving the lifeblood back to, back to stage and back to art and giving these people employment and and seeing a city being able to turn back on again yeah. the the tourism dollar generated by broadway and off broadway and every bit of entertainment in in between is a massive loss not just to the city of course and the infrastructure but but to each person personally to to those lives to those homes to to their personal stories so being able to return to stage is being able to return to a life of doing the thing that you trained years and years for and sacrificed and 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 had your feet bleeding and your throat raw and 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 working uh, jobs to pay the bills until you got that break it it it, it means being able to to return to some sort of normalcy yeah. and then being able to put your art back out into to the world. So so just on that that dollar level, that's what that is. Yeah. But I think what would be amazing is is for us in some way to be able to take some of the lessons that we've learned, maybe some of the empathy, um, uh, to be able to take uh, the conversations that we've been having since last year yeah. concerning not just diversity, but how how diversity shouldn't be something that is that is rewarded and uh, or 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 afforded it should just be the standard it should just be what it is both on stage and and uh and on the production level being able to see people make make creative choices based on 
based on being open to 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 diversity in your cast, creative choices, and hearing other voices, whether they be black voices or or Latin voices or Asian voices, um, and not that we haven't seen that on Broadway. So so this isn't to to poo poo it, but it is to say there can always be more. There can always be a greater version. There can always be more of those diverse stories told. I, I don't know if we necessarily need another. Um, revival of of Oklahoma or you know the great the great American musicals because maybe the America that we're in right now we can make the next great American musical people would argue that Hamilton is probably one of the greatest American musicals to come and the presentation of that is a presentation that shows a more realistic face of America so I think that's what I would like like to see is that conversation go from online and the news to make its way to to our stages. Yeah, I love I love the diversity should be the standard um, because it really should be. Um, I want to thinking of uh, part of one of the other things that happened as our theaters were shuttered and this past summer, you know, there were a number of organizations that started having this conversation about not to poo poo what has been done before, as you said, but to, to point out some, you know, some problems that could be fixed or, or places for improvement. Um, and so I'm wondering um, if you could talk to me a bit about um where you would most like to see um, this representation state change, especially as you mentioned that it should also be happening offstage and backstage. Um, is there a particular area in theater where you would most like to see uh, an increased um, diversity and representation in terms of getting ready to write and create the next great American musical? Um, I think... In my humble opinion, and I say humble opinion because I'm I'm honored to have this conversation, but I also respect the fact that I feel that there are other people who have spent so so many years on Broadway, so many many more years um, on Broadway, and who are um, and and who who may have a a different opinion or deeper opinion than 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 mine, who 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 are part of that black Broadway family and have been part of that family for years. So, so when I say my opinion, I know that it's, it's, it's the opinion of someone who has been in the space for, for a good amount of time, but not as long as others. So I look at it from the viewpoint of, it would be wonderful to have more, more black directors, Mm -hmm. more black producing teams, Mm-hmm. Um, because diversity w- without, and I hope I'm, I can be clear on this. It's one thing to say, let's be diverse. Com- companies have been doing that for a while. And I have to give companies like Disney their due for, for making great steps like Frozen and being able to, to take these characters that may have been one way in the cartoon and say, no, that's okay. It doesn't matter if a person of color plays this role, the character is is what it is, that's great. But what I think would be better is when diversity is brought up and you have diversity behind the stage, um, you need that diversity so that you stop having the conversations or the statements that lead to uh, you can stop the ignorance mm-hmm. and and by ignorance i don't mean that anyone's being being intentionally ignorant but I- ignorance is ignorance so when someone makes a business decision about casting well we've auditioned and we just don't get a lot of dot 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 right well that's wrong right i you can throw a rock and hit a person of color who who has trained and 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 done these things just as long as as these other actors people tend to go for what is familiar so in my mind if you make diversity the standard 
And and I don't mean every show has to be black, every show has to be Latin, every show has to be this. There are certain stories that are that are best represented some sometimes mm-hmm. by by and and the casting is very specific. I'm saying that that when when the casting can just be, why not open the door and have just anyone of color be able to fill fill in these roles because they are the best person for the job. Don't don't say the well, this isn't going to work because I can't find the people that I need. They they won't come out and audition. Where can I find them? Well, instead of saying things like that, or instead of relying on your habits of, well, I think that I like when I cast the blonde, blue-eyed guy that sings this thing and does this. Well, aren't the princes in, in, uh, in, in, uh, oh, I, I just blanked, um, in, in, in the musical, um, Where's my mind? They sing agony. Oh um, yes. Um, oh, now my mind. I can hear the song. How can I? Yes, and I know the whole score. I. Oh, I, um, into the woods. Into the woods. Into the woods. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm about to to hit myself with with this microphone. No, uh, I was singing it in my head. I was like, "Come on, come on." Yeah. Yes, into like the woods. The, the the princes have got to be. They they've got to look like this because they've always looked like this because Snow White has always looked like this because no. Be open to it. Yeah. So my long-winded explanation goes back to if you have diversity as a standard and are open to it, then it'll change what I call the ignorant thinking of, well, it's gotta be this way, mm-hmm. or we can't find, or you will be open to it. And I think that's where a lot of producers get stuck. Yeah. in the it's got to look this way and then it'll trickle down you'll have you'll have choreographers not not look for dancers of a certain uh, who look a certain way because they go well I don't like the way that you know cert- certain bodies don't look good doing this right. what right you can end that conversation too so if diversity is the standard it'll trickle down in every area from 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 the producing to the creative teams to the choreographers to to stage management to having the sta- stage managers that 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 reflect the world outside um and and i've got to say you know a shout out to to a buddy of mine Cody who who happens to be like one of the the I think he's such a star on on the rise in in the world of um of of stage management and 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 Broadway. And I've been lucky enough to see 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 his rise. Um the Cody Cody Renard Richard. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely amazing. And I have to admit, when I first met him, and I've been doing theater a long time, yeah. he was one of the first young black male stage managers that uh, that in, at a major show that I'd ever run into. Yeah. And it's weird when when you've been doing something for X amount of time and you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. I, I shouldn't have had that reaction. It should have been normal to me. Yeah, I I had a similar moment. Um, I directed uh, Jocelyn Bio's Af- um, School Girls or the African Mean Girls play, and I, you know, I, I haven't been, I've only been in theater for about eleven years now. But that was the first comedy for Black women that I directed, and I remember thinking, why why did it take so long to do this? What it shouldn't have been. 11 years before I got to do a comedy for black women, you know? Um, so I, I definitely, this idea of first, even when you've been doing something for as long as you, and you can still be surprised by who's in the room and who isn't, um, is something I think we're really wrestling with. I want to ask you a question, uh, coming back to, um, uh, to our families and sort of, um, immigrant parents, do you think in your opinion, um, part of the concern that maybe your family had about you going into the arts was because they did not see themselves represented. Do you think there was a relationship between saying maybe you shouldn't do this because we weren't as visible? I've never really thought of it that way, but now that you 
you pose that question, I think maybe, maybe what it is, is that because we weren't seen uh, a, a lot, or or should I say, maybe we were seen a lot, but not in bigger roles or viable roles or or playing playing the maid or 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 whatever that that uh, typical role would have been back in the earlier days. I think a lot of families may have felt that that it wasn't as why go into that profession if that's all that you can do right because that doesn't make it make it uh serious enough well you know what i mean that that's that's not a real job that's not serious enough right like my grandma would say uh you know you see people jump up and, and down and shaking and winding up and doing all that nonsense and 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 acting stupid <laughs> Yeah. Instead of instead of looking at it as this beautiful art. So when you don't see yourself represented with dignity or as a part of the picture, when you only see people that look like you represented as backdrops, there's no incentive to want to let your child run off to be a part of that. That more a more realistic thing is go to school, get an education, and try to be a doctor. Try to, which even in its own way, now, now that we're talking about it, think, think about the black families where at some point when, when a kid would say, oh, I want to go to school and try, try to be a doctor. What? That, that was the unattainable dream. Right. So it makes sense that, at least in my generation, um, um, I was born in '72, so by the time you know that that, that the mid '80s roll, rolled around, when when my grandmother and my family were trying to get me to go to school to make something of myself, and of course they say, be a doctor, be be a lawyer, try try to work in a business to become a businessman. There were there were there were precedents for that yeah. that they could look at and see. Look at that, you can do that, but still in her mind, the entertainment thing wasn't. Because it's never a sure thing, but in in her mind, it wasn't even an option because her her generation could not see the value or the importance in it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. It, it, I started to as you were talking. It made me think: Is that part of the reason why they that that our parents and grandparents got so nervous about it? Right? Because as you said, they would turn on the TV and say, "What." Why would you want to take all your talents to, you know, to be the maid um, or be the servant? So thank you for that. Um, we now know, um, uh, Wayne, that you have um, done so many roles on stage, so many amazing roles. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about this when we return to our stages. Um, I want to sort of ask you, do you have any um, bucket list wishes for artists you'd love to work with on stage? Um, do you have any bucket list roles that you would love to pursue? Man, that's 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 a big, big question. Um, and I think years ago, I I had pat answers ready to go. Sure. And but now, I think there are things that maybe I wanted to do at one point. I think one role that I've never gotten a chance to do. I've gotten close a couple times because I was cast uh, once for a for a tour, but I couldn't do it. Um, and I was in the running. Uh, for a, a a millisecond during the movie was was Dreamgirls, to uh -huh. to to be able to play Curtis, or uh, or James Thunder Early, mm -hmm. and I and I was cast as Curtis years and years ago, um, um, in one of the national tours, and because of a shooting schedule, I couldn't do it. Dream Dreamgirls, I think, is a is an amazing story that I would love to to still be a part of, but but even saying saying that. Maybe the roles that I think are the bucket list roles are roles that I don't even know exist yet. Yeah. Instead of bringing back all of these shows and going, oh my God, it'd be great to be in this and this. I would like to be in whatever is the new thing. I would like to be in whatever is the next story that we tell. Mm -hmm. I would love to be a part of, of, a, 
of a new production, bringing forth a new story, um, especially after Broadway comes back. I think there's going to be a re-energizing process. Yeah. Um, I would love to 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 see that happen. Um, I would also love to help be on the be on the directing and producing side of it at some point. Have having directed TV now and some 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 stage early early on, but I've directed a lot of of sketch and written a lot of that that yeah. for TV to to be able to do that. That's my dream. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think there is one project that I would love to see happen because I think it would just be cool. So I'm going to speak it out into into existence. That's right. You, Years ago, I wanted to get the rights to Damn Yankees, which I know goes against what I was saying. Oh, why why mount something else? But I thought, how cool and what would change, if anything, because I don't know how it works when you do a do a revival, uh, what you need to clear with with the estate to make certain things happen. I would love to see Damn Yankees played with Joe being black and it being set in the Negro Leagues mm. and shifting the, the story to there. Mm -hmm. It's still, it still is the same story. It still, it still is, you know, uh, the same exact thing, you think with Mr. Uh, Applegate and, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. But what are the stakes when, when it's this black man getting a shot in the Negro Leagues and then potentially getting a shot in the, in the white prose what um does does it change the story if the reporter you know when you're doing shoeless joe from hannibal mo mm -hmm. does it what what happens when that reporter happens to be this this young white reporter that goes goes out and 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 she looks that way is the, just just thinking about any of the things that that would go along with that that you wouldn't have to hit an audience over the head in a heavy-handed way, just present it. Does it make a difference? Does it make a difference if you do the music straight, but some of the the arrangements are done with a with with a style more more of a a swing soul style that that is indicative of 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 the time. Just wanting to play with a couple of those things. Yeah. So that's where where my mind is. I'd love to be involved in projects that that are like that. That sounds great. I would love to see that. I, I will get my ticket. Um, this makes me think of um, uh, how do you pick uh, projects that you're interested in, right? I imagine you have um, so many things to choose from. And is there a particular idea or um, sort of what drives you in your choices of work that you do? I try to do things that either bring me joy or that will move my personal needle, mm. and uh, work-wise, yeah. and and I think think the misconception by people, both who I think are not in show business and some people in show business, is when you reach a certain point, they're like, "Oh, well, you're good. You you aren't auditioning for stuff, and you got some mon money in the bank, and people know who you are. You're 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 cool. You you don't need to hustle for X, Y, and Z." And I find that that is. That is so not the, the case. In fact, if anything, it's more for me because I have things that I want to get done before I leave this mortal coil one day. Yes. And, and I see that because of the body of work that I have, you may be someone who knows that I've got all my theatrical chops and all the stuff that, that I've done. Or you may be someone from Kansas who goes, I sure love Wayne on that show where they make stuff up. Mm -hmm. um, I like like that black gun. Who's who's the line for the funny? What's that thing? <laughs> you, you may be that that person. Yeah. And and then even in the industry, if you know, you know, if you don't, you don't. And sadly, you are put in certain boxes depending on what people in power know. So I not only choose for joy, but when I do something, I do it to go, okay. If I do this thing, this will alter this piece of the perception pie, yeah. which will then open up this other door for me. And a lot of things do get offered to me and I turn a lot of things down, but there are other things that are not offered to me that I fight for. Mm. And I end up getting because I go, A, I need to do this because it's for my heart and I know that it'll that I'll kill it. And 
I need to do it because it'll change perception. I did that with, with, um, with Hamilton. Uh, I've been offered other things, so I guess I was spoiled at a certain point where I just figured that that maybe I would be offered Burr because some of the you know some of the family know me. Um, you know, I know Lynn and Tommy and everybody, and they know what I do. So sure, you know, I can step in and do this. No, I I had to go in and work my ass off to go get Hamilton, mm. and I was. And I was happy about that because maybe that's that island blood. It's like, no, 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 you know what? Don't give it to me. Let me prove you (laughs) wrong for whatever maybe you had in your head so that later when I talk to you, you will go, oh, Wayne, I was wrong. Okay, good. All right, fine. (laughs) So I love doing that. I love those those things. I love those challenges. There are TV things that I've had to go go after. Um, a couple seasons ago, I was on a show called Colony uh, on on U, U, USA, this sci-fi drama. Mm-hmm. I had to go and audition a couple times for for the show showrunners, um, Carlton uh, Cuse, who who did Lost. I had to show them that I could be this guy because they may have just been familiar with with variety stuff mm-hmm. instead of me as a legitimate actor and as a stage stage actor and someone that could bring it. And I don't mind that. I absolutely love doing that. And I just got a job because of that on this pilot on a Showtime series from from the creator of Ray Ray Donovan, right. the launch of American Gigolo. Right. I'm I'm in this cast with th- these amazing people because I said I, I will go in there and fight for it. So, so just as I get to pick things, I, I honestly and humbly go, I don't get to pick everything. I, I get to pick the things that I'll go fight for and I'll fight for a stage role too. Right. Okay. Thank you. I, you know, I, I love, <laughs> you know, that you've centered this idea of, of fighting for work that is important to you and also brings you joy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm so happy that you have centered this idea of finding personal joy in your work. Um, and I, I want to pivot, you know, I know that you are no stranger to advocacy work, especially around uh, mental health initiatives. And I want, um, could you talk to me about why that has been important to you? And um, and then my s- second question um, is, what is bringing you joy in this, in, in, in our COVID time? So it's a two-part question. It's been important for me to advocate, and I've done it for for more than a few years now because I needed to remove the stigma of of um, mental health issues in the black community. Yes, because I had my own issues around having issues, mm-hmm. and when you feel shame, shame will shame will stop you from seeking help. Shame will stop you from living your best life, shame will stop you from growth. Um, And like many people that grew up hearing from the people around you that, you know, black folks, uh, that that psychiatrist and therapy, that's for white people. That's not for us. That was really... Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Bless you. Thank you. Um, hearing that and growing up with it, I didn't realize how entrenched in me that was. That was actually a belief. And I never knew that that was part of my core belief system. Um, because n- no one around me growing up would have thought about getting help. Mm-hmm. And even as I became older, there was no one in my circle that that talked about talking out any problems or issues you had in a in in a constructive way with a criticism i always heard of it be, being talked about is that if you need to see a therapist then you're broken mm-hmm. you're sick mm-hmm. so fast forward to when you get to a place where you may be on TV or you've got some type of no, no, notoriety and people know your name. If, if you are sick or if you're broken, then there's the opportunity for you to be replaced at your job or to lose your job or to people or, or people thinking that you're less than. Mm-hmm. 
So I kept a lot of that inside for many years until I reached a point where my ex-wife, who's my best friend and producing and, and producing partner, um, and we co-parent together, she, I finally had to listen to her. I finally listened to her when she said, Wayne, you cannot go on like this. And I broke down and sought help. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the lies that I've been telling myself for years were so harmful. And I thought, if I'm telling myself this lie, and and I have to look in my life and go, you've got a good life, man. You've got a really good life. What about the people that don't have access to the things that you have access to? And and they're stuck in this way of thinking. So I had to speak out about it. Um, I had to, and not just speak out about it just in a, you know, Twitter post where I'm not <laughs> casting shade on anybody, but you know, you know, the post where someone goes, morning gratitude, y'all, mental health check, namaste. No, I wanted to actively address brothers and sisters. I wanted to go on shows and do PSAs and say, hey, I, I feel this way and I'm talking to you about it. And I hope that if somebody that you've seen on TV can can yell from the mountaintops, you don't have to feel that way. You don't have to feel trapped. Then it would inspire you to go, oh, maybe it isn't such a bad thing after all. And that was my reason for for advocating because I was tired of seeing seeing and hearing about us dying. Yeah. Um, and 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 the straw that broke the camel's back was was when Robin Williams passed. Mm. Mm-hmm. I I looked at him like I think a lot of people looked at him the way that a lot of people looked at me and said, Robin Williams was world famous and rich, and he he had to be happy, right? Well, no, none of those things have anything to do with your mental state. They have nothing to do with your body chemistry, with with your trauma. It has nothing nothing to do with any of those things that make us a person. Nothing. So I, so I realized that when that man, who was one of my personal heroes, mm-hmm. who I had the pleasure of working with and knowing, if he was in that place and couldn't talk and felt that he needed to do what he did, what chance do I have if I don't speak up? Yeah, thank you. I, um, I so appreciate that you talked about in the Black community that there are issues around the issues. Right, that 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 sometimes uh, we don't even have the chance to start um, being in conversation about what the original trauma or pain is because of the stigmas around that trauma and pain. So I want to thank you, um, one for um, how you spoke about this today and for the work that you've been doing um, um, towards, um, I guess I would say, destigmatizing. Um, uh, how we perceive um, mental health and wellness. So I, 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 I just want to thank you for that. Um, it's so important. Um, and, and I guess I want to ask, um, uh, what is what is bringing you joy now? Um, what what are you doing to to uh, get through these these times? Right, that are you know it's an overused word, but are are unprecedented. Um, uh, what, what, what is keeping you fulfilled? I know you have four dogs. Um, I think, uh, but yes. <laughs> yes, um, all four. All four, right. No favorites, no favorites. Um, but what is bringing you joy? What is bringing me joy? Um, my family brings me joy. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that sounds, it, it sounds so Simple. It's like, yeah, my family brings me joy, but a- I really, really feel that so much of what I love in life is based around the idea and the follow through of family. My daughter brings me joy watching her grow up and being a contributor to the to the growth of a of a human being there's no feeling like that and especially where i am right now watching a um 
watching this this uh this 18 year old go into her life and step into the next piece of whatever her her journey is that is the best thing that i have ever been a part of i can honestly tell you i i i am so so honored to be her dad mm. and to watch this this person grow so that brings me joy daily being being able to to create mm -hmm. that brings me joy um knowing that that uh and knowing that i'm making gratitude has brought brought me joy mm -hmm. and, and i can honestly say I, I don't know if i've always been grateful i've been appreciative but i don't know if i've always been grateful mm -hmm. i've been aware but i don't know if i've been grateful so so now i feel that i'm really the past few years i i know gratitude now huh. so so i'm very grateful so when i do something like let's make a deal no let's make a deal isn't you know hamilton or kinky boots or something like that that i can that like the artsy wayne in his head is like see that's theater that's this but <laughs> i get to be yeah but you know what i get to every single day yeah. especially now during a pandemic and this was something that i was doing from the house during the summer that we did a stripped down version just just on zoom i can give people who a lot of whom are essential workers, mm -hmm. people who who are stuck at home, who have missed out on their, their their paychecks, I can give them money. Yeah, I can make connections. I can make them laugh mm -hmm. for at least an hour during the daytime, when when we are just coming out of the the worst, uh, you know it seems like three three horrible movies stitched together over the past four four years right that 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 i can bring them some joy for that piece of time i am grateful for that i, I never really paid that attention before because i was very much about well this makes me happy well no i'm now happy that you guys are happy that this person that watches is happy that's brought me the biggest um warmth mm -hmm. and i think it's made me a better better performer and a better person okay thank i love gratitude has I, I i love gratitude has brought me joy and that you said you've been appreciative but not grateful and you know it, it makes me think about you know am i appreciative and not grateful and there's a difference there's a difference between having true gratitude um, mm -hmm. listening to you talk about what's bringing you joy now, uh, I, I guess my next question, and then I think maybe I just have one more after this is, you know, um, there's been a lot of, um, uh, pain, as you pointed out over the past four years, there's been a lot of pain this year for a variety of reasons. Um, are there any of the things that are bringing you joy or the changes that you've seen over the course of this year? What do you hope we take away from this year and bring with us to the reopening of our stages and of the, I guess, the way in which we um, work with one another? It could also be, what do you want to leave behind? <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. There, there, there's a lot that I want to. Yeah. Uh, I, if we can, I, I think it's, and once again, you know, these things sound so simple. It's just, if people would just take a little bit of understanding, right? That little bit of empathy, and we can bring that back to stage and, but just in life, just, just being able to be, to, we don't have to agree, right? I don't have to, to like you at the end of the day, but maybe I don't have to actively hate you or the thing that you said, and you can give me that same understanding. That if, if I try to 
understand where you're coming from. And I think that to to some of our allies and to other people that 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 when the word racism and white privilege and all those things are thrown thrown about and offense is taken, it's not it's not offense. It's just hey, just understand, just just give us a little bit of of amp of that empathy and just understand where I'm coming from. And I will try to do the same for you. It doesn't mean I have to like it, but I will try to understand. Mm-hmm. And and I really believe that if we just take that little bit of empathy and sprinkle it on our everyday interactions and then maybe sprinkle it into our art um, and understand why, instead of saying as a producer, well, the, well, the reason I... I cast a show this way is because, and then get offended, go, oh, I I can understand why you may feel this way. Mm -hmm. I see it now. And open that conversation instead of being closed-minded. That's what I, that that is my biggest hope, that that little bit of empathy will, across the board, just infect everyone. Yeah, I I hope so too. I really hope so too. Speaking of the future um, and hopefully a more empathetic future, you know, so many uh, young people, you know, I I talked to young people who were supposed to finish school and launch themselves as young artists, you know, in all of our theater cities across the country and, you know, instead move back home and are finding other ways to be resourceful. If you had to give advice to young artists right now, um, what advice would you give them? How could they better invest in themselves during this time? It's the same advice that I would give to myself okay. and that I would give to every single person uh, who, who isn't on stage. Uh, to quote the, the great James Brown, right? If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. This is a time where we all, where, where you can pre- prepare yourself. Prepare to hit the ground running. If you are a young artist starting off, take take voice, take virtual voice, take virtual dance. If there's a safe dance studio, I guess a lot of places, some some places have opened up and they're doing small classes. If you can dance, if you want to do uh, to interject a little more comedy, take an improv class. If you want to write, uh, take take a writing course, write, practice, dance, make stuff up in your room, read plays, read a book. Just do have all these tools in your backpack so that when when the green light goes, you're not starting up and, oh, I've got to get ready to. No, you are ready to go. And I think especially now. And I was talking to my daughter about this because she she's auditioning for for a couple different schools and she's just had a real a couple good callbacks. And I have to say completely unbiased. She's really, really talented, and I'm so glad because the conversation that I would have to have with her if I didn't think that she was good, it's like, sweetheart, no, you have to be a doctor. Um, (laughs) 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 She's really, really good, and we were talking yesterday, and she was saying, oh, yeah, you know, that, that depending on the school I go to, if school opens up, um, there was a school that she was she was thinking about staying here in Los Angeles and saying, well, maybe I should just audition for um, for for Disneyland as a performer while I'm going to school as a job because doing that was one of my many jobs when I was come coming up working at theme parks and singing and dancing, and I was telling I said, yeah, but you you know there are a lot of people in line for those jobs now. Because if it comes back, you had people that were working at the parks. Yeah. You have the classes that graduated before you. So just know that the competition is going to be really strong. So whatever the job is, if you really want to do that, then I would advise you right now to take steps to make yourself a better weapon. Mm. And and I have, have to do that myself right now. I'm saying, oh, you know, there are things that I want to do before a stage opens up because because if if I get the opportunity to step back on stage, I don't want to go. Oh, oh, it's been 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 a year. Oh, I'm creaky. I get no. I've got to go back back to voice. I've got to start stretching. I've got to get myself in shape. I've got to get my mind right. Yeah. 
So, so that's my bit of advice. Get ready people. Cause it's going to happen. That's right. That's right. I love that advice. Um, well, speaking of the future and getting ready, um, and we're, we're coming to the end of our conversation. I would love to hear what's next for you. Um, I know you're working on a show about your family. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a bit about that or any other projects that, um, you're, you're, you're pursuing right now. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, we have a, uh, we, my, uh, my uh, partner, Mandy, um, we sold the show to CBS um, along with uh, our friends, uh, John and Tracy, who were two of the showrunners at Will, Will and Grace, based on our family. And CBS became interested with a lot of other studios during the pandemic. They saw these TikTok videos mm. that, that my family made. And um, I saw the one with all the dogs. <laughs> right. I love that. Which one. is one of my favorites. I love it. <laughs> So we have a blended family, and um, it's it's my ex-wife Mandy, who we were together for years, and then we got divorced, and we have our daughter Miley, and then J- and then Jason, who was Mandy's boyfriend, who used to be one of my backup dancers when I did my Vegas show. So, so, so it's this weird little family, and on the outside, people some some people just can't wrap their heads around the fact of how could i and and this is where some of the toxic masculinity especially like in the black community comes in of of i can't see how you can be best friends with your ex knowing that this dude is sleeping with your Mm ex-wife well it's a little more nuanced than that my friend (laughs) this is the man who happens to be be the the companion to my ex-wife who happens to be in the same space as my daughter and the way that I had to look at it as an evolved brother was there are plenty of people that she could have gotten together with and let's say that the person that she gets together with is this person of questionable character and is not a good dude and doesn't treat my daughter well and doesn't treat my ex who I still love as my family well then I've got problems so why would I have a problem with a guy who is a great guy, yeah. who, is a, who, who is just a good dude, hands down, and my daughter loves him, and I'm not replaced. She knows who her father is, yeah. and she gets to see the modeling of a healthy relationship and the fact that I will never speak an ill word of her mother, and she knows what, what it looks like for a man to respect this, this partner, whether they're married or not. So, so it's a win. And that's what what CBS bought is a fictionalized version of our family, and and so we're writing it right now. I'm uh, man, Mandy, and I are are uh, are the co co creators, and I'm one of the writers, and we're writing it as we speak. Actually, I've got a draft to turn in this afternoon okay. to to the network, and so so we've got that show, uh, our production company, in in line with our advocacy. We have um, we said that we're only going to produce projects that move the needle. Mm-hmm. So we've we've uh, purchased the rights to a um, to a novel, to a series called Dreadnought, which is about a trans superhero, and it, it's a coming of age story, because the hero receives their powers, at at the same time that they're making their their transition. So the whole world basically knows knows their business, and what's that spotlight like? And it's an amazing story, and we're hoping to develop that as a as a TV series. Um, and uh, we have a show with Jerry Bruckheimer's a production company um, called uh, called Barstow AF about a young um, gay uh, Asian kid from Hawaii who ends up moving to uh, to Barstow and has to completely change who who he is and kind of put a a um, a basket over his his spark and his flame to make the people around him happy and what does that look like Mm. um so we so we really love telling these stories and that's uh that's so over at cbs all access and um it's amazing to be able to bring that story to light too so we're just trying to get it done you know we're really just trying to get it done yeah well i I cannot wait to watch these shows and I cannot wait to see you on stage or on TikTok or wherever <laughs> you, you'll be sharing your your work and your joy with us. Um, I want to thank you. Well, hopefully we will get to work together one day. Just call me and please direct the hell out of me. Ah, done. Done. <laughs> 
I would love that. I'm going to go look at this damn Yankees thing. Um, it's It really is a treat to be in conversation with you. I feel like our parents and our grandparents, um, you know, know that we've done good. And um, I, I'm, I'm really grateful to know a, a fellow Islander who, who balked at uh, the advice <laughs> to become a doctor or something else and is, is here making theater and being just, um, you're such an, an amazing, amazing artist and, and advocate for all that is good and beautiful. And um, I just want to thank you and wish you continued joy. Thank you for talking to me today. Well, th- thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of Talking Direction. Join us every week by subscribing while you're here. Also, let us know what you think. You can follow us and engage with us directly on all social media platforms with the handle at Drama League. Talking Direction is a project of the Drama League of New York, America's only not-for-profit, lifelong home for stage directors and the audiences who treasure their work on stage, in films, on television, and across the internet. During the pandemic, we're providing essential services to help theater folk and their families who are suffering from economic and health struggles due to COVID-19. If you'd like to join us in this effort, visit dramaleague.org and click donate or become a member. We'd love to have you as part of the Drama League family. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.